I am beyond excited to announce that I have partnered with Magimix for season eight of Crazy Sexy Food. Magimix is a family-owned business that has the amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances that are adored by chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. With their 30-year motor guarantee, these machines have always been built to last. They continue to be relevant as ever in the busy kitchen and make fantastic food processes that make your food go further and reduce food wastage. They are a godsend when it comes to batch cooking and using up leftovers. I use my Magimix every single day. If you're ready to step into the world of Magimix with a new food processor, blender, ice cream maker or any other bit of kit, then simply pop over to their website and use my exclusive code at checkout for a 15% discount. The code is MagimixCSF. Make it with Magimix. Hi and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by two women I consider to be superheroes. Olia Hercules and Alyssa Timoskina are chefs, activists, authors, and most recently, the founders of Cook for Ukraine, the global movement of supper clubs, restaurants, and chefs supporting the people of Ukraine. They are also proof that with food and conversation, barriers are broken down and everyone is welcome at the table, no matter who you are or where you're from. This is the same ethos I carry. And so it is the greatest honor to have these beautiful women sitting at my table. Olia and Alyssa, what an absolute pleasure. Welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Thank you for having us. This is a really beautiful combination of cultures coming to the table. And I do understand that this is very sensitive times. So we will take this conversation slowly and at your own pace. And I just want to say thank you so much for entrusting me with your time during what I can imagine has been a very difficult, difficult year for you both. To kind of start a little bit lighthearted, I always ask my guests, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> Nothing terribly exciting. <laughs> I feel like everyone this season is saying that, but um, I didn't have anything. I had a coffee. I'm really not a breakfast person, so no one has any suggestions for me. <laughs> Please tell me. But yeah, I just had um, me and my daughter had some um, quite nice spelt flakes with oat milk. Oh, That's kind okay. of our, our go-to when I can't be bothered to make porridge. <laughs> That's the best option. Do you put any toppings on that? Or? And a banana. Okay. Yeah, banana. Oh, nice. Yeah. Slow releasing, healthy... Yeah, I like that. Yeah, they're really nice. Yeah. Spelt like what about you? I'm also a breakfast skipper normally. Okay. But today, actually, I felt like I needed just a tiny bit of sustenance. So I just had a, a piece of toast with some crunchy peanut butter. I'm so oh, glad you said yeah. crunchy. Yeah. That could have been make or break for this relationship right now. <laughs> There's no place in this world for smooth peanut butter. I'm sorry. My <laughs> other obsession is... Actually, what I usually have would be a toast with sunflower butter oh, and lots of honey and salted butter. And this is like... What? I have to give it to you. It's like halva so wait, so we're doing, on toast. So sunflower butter, 
like dairy butter yeah and lots of honey okay it is so good you don't need any breakfast advice that was amazing (laughs) i'm going to do that i need your sunflower paste recipe please so um before we get started i just wanted to congratulate you both um on your recent award at the observer food monthly awards i was there i witnessed it with my own eyes what a moment you guys uh were given the editor's award how did that feel powerful it felt um oh, i don't know i, I don't know I, I think we both felt very supported um by by the industry as a whole obviously a, a fam and you know the importance of that special award is um is very special but um just having that whole room of people and knowing how many of them uh, have done uh, you know, so many things to support Ukraine. That was that was quite an amazing. Absolutely. Well, it was a beautiful speech as well, and I feel like it really was like a moment. And I think, it, I mean, I obviously knew about you guys before that, but I think I messaged one of you pretty much the day after, and I was like, I want you guys to come on the podcast. I think you guys are amazing. Um, so, and then here we are. But before we get really into what you both have been working on and have been doing over the past year, I want to take it back to both of your childhoods. So, Alyssa, I'm going to start with you. You were born in Russia. Uh, You came to the UK in the 90s. I want to know what life was like growing up. Who was cooking? What food was on the table? Was eating and cooking important? Sort of paint the whole picture for us. Sure. Um, So I was born in 84. Uh, in Siberia, so it's still the Soviet days, kind of the end of the Soviet regime. Um, personally, I don't remember the terrible queues and the terrible food shortages, something that we really associate with the Soviet regime, especially towards the end of it. Um, my family um, is quite small, but um, very typical of the Soviet kind of cultural tradition, women have had children very early so the age gaps were quite smaller than Mm. perhaps they are now and so there were three generations of women in my family was my mom my great grandmother and my great grandmother that were still around and both my parents and my grandparents were still working when I was born so I was actually looked after by my great grandmother Gosh, okay. She was only in her early 70s, so, um, you know, she was quite <laughs> capable of doing it. Um, and she was a really fascinating woman, a really special person in my life, not only because she um, raised me, so by default she kind of, you know, is the symbol of my childhood and I've learned so much from her, but also her story, her personal life is quite complex and very um, fascinating and it, I think it instilled a lot of things in me and it kind of looking at my life as an adult through that lens, I kind of starting to make a lot more sense about why I made the choices that I have and why I'm interested in certain things. Um, So she was a Jewish woman from Ukraine who um, was evacuated to Siberia in 1941 when the Holocaust in Ukraine started. Um, And she happened to have stayed in Siberia ever since. Uh, But she retained her quite strong Ukrainian accent and it was quite a funny thing that because she was with me all the time I actually spoke with I spoke Russian but with a Ukrainian accent as a kid because I just kind of absorbed you know she would read me poems and I would memorize them the exact the same way as she would tell me um 
And the food, so she was the main person who cooked for me. Um, and I guess for the whole family, because she actually lived with us. Um, so the food that she made was very simple, very kind of homey. She did lots of baking. I, I'm not sure if she actually has a culinary degree, but she worked in different canteens. That was, you know, she cooked for a living and she mostly did baking. So she did lots of really lovely kind of Ukrainian, Jewish, Ashkenazi style, mm. poppy seed, babkas, buns, that kind of stuff. Of course, there was borscht, but, you know, just lots of simple stuff, lots of ferments, of course, you know, being in Siberia, you don't really have access to many fresh fruits and vegetables, especially in colder months. Um, so I guess from kind of mid-September, lots of jars would start popping up everywhere in the kitchen and we would have lots of um, preserved mushrooms that you would then fry with potatoes and have with sour cream and some rye bread, like super simple Gosh, things. It's, it's quite, quite nice, yeah. And again, kind of looking back on kind of how I grew up, you know, there's no way I want to romanticize the Soviet days. And, you know, there's literally very little positive to say about it, you know, from an objective perspective. But as a, as a kid, I guess you, you always tend to have some, you know, very warm romantic mm -hmm. memories. Mm -hmm. And there is something very positive about preserving food and respecting the food that you have. Um, and that sparsity does inspire real reverence towards food. And I know Olya also grew up that way. And that's something that you share very much and carry over into your own professional and personal life. So to me, that kind of preservation really is emblematic of not only just my personal experience, but kind of a culture as a whole, mm. especially Siberian culture that's so dependent on the climate, you know, not particularly blessed with the most amazing <laughs> climate, but when the weather is good, there are a lot of wonderful vegetables and fruit that then people uh, tend to preserve and kind of make the most. When you were younger and you're, and you're being raised by your great grandmother, were you actually interested in cooking yourself or was she very much primarily in the kitchen? She was in the kitchen, yeah. And it's really interesting that, I mean, my gran was a, well, I mean, she's still alive, but she doesn't cook. So I guess was a great cook is appropriate to say about her. Um, my mom was an amazing cook. She loves party hosting and she always, um, even again in the Soviet days when there was not much abundance and you don't have access to, you know, how we do now to food magazines that give you ideas for Christmas dinner parties and all of that. She would always invent something really beautiful visually and very interesting flavor wise. But for some reason, I never was invited or as a kid, I was never really kind of made part of that cooking rituals. I guess it was always something that the grown-ups did and I just mm. enjoyed the fruits of their labor. Um, so no, I never cooked as a kid. I only started cooking a lot later in my 20s when I was already an adult having my mm. own place in London. Which which we'll get to in a bit. And you, Olya, you were born in southern Ukraine uh, and you moved to Cyprus when you were 12, I believe. Same question really to you. I'd love to know what life was like growing up, who was cooking. Explain, I guess, the food of your childhood and sort of again, sort of paint the picture of what your experience was like as a child. Sure. Um, just to uh, kind of second what Lisa is saying, you know, I think if you grow up in a super loving family, they have the power to kind of protect you from everything that's going on around you. So similarly, uh, I knew from kind of snippets of conversation 
uh, from my parents that, you know, there is a regime and there's some darkness kind of like beyond all of it. And obviously, you know, with time you learn all about it in detail. But when I was, a, when, when I was very little, you know, I was surrounded by my amazing family and, um, and quite beautiful gardens and nature and having been born in the South, um, there was, you know, there was a cornucopia of uh, ingredients, herbs, fruit, kind of falling on your head on the streets kind of thing. You know, again, as Elisa said, you know, very kind of lyrical, romantic memories of my childhood. But, you know, that's, that, that's how it felt. That's how I remember it. And my mom and my mom's cooking and my grandmother's cooking and my dad's cooking. They were all quite amazing cooks, still are. Um, you know, having kind of later on become a chef, um, I, I said it will still take me another 10 or 15 years to master the art of making phyllo pastry by hand. You know, when my mom does it, she kind of like stretches it on the backs of her of her hands and like throws it in the air. Wow. You know, she's she's just incredible. And um, yeah, so similarly, we grew up with. Um, loads of home-cooked food, loads of preserves for winter, um, with a summer kitchen, um, um, which is kind of like a separate outbuilding, like a workshop where Ukrainians, wherever you come, kind of within Ukraine, everyone had one in, in small towns and villages, where you would preserve your, the glut that you've, you've grown during the summer for winter, Mm. And uh, where you'd cook during the summer, you know, because it, it is it gets really, really hot in, uh, in the summer in the Kherson region. Um, you'd want to take all of this kind of hot business of cooking out of your main house, keep it nice and tidy and just have like a very concentrated. That's clever. Kind of, yeah. Love that. Space where, yeah. You, where you'd be cooking and preserving, you know, mm. almost like semi-industrial operations yeah. happening there in September. And that was quite normal in most homes yeah. to have that set up. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so obviously cities were very, you know, urban environments were different, yeah. but uh, even small towns like mine, Kachovka, which is about 50,000 people, pretty much everyone had a summer kitchen. And yeah, they have a very kind of significant presence in uh, Ukrainian gastronomic cultural uh, space. Yeah. So tell me some key dishes that you would say remind you of your childhood. Sure. Definitely loads of borscht, uh, which, you know, changes throughout the season, actually. And, you know, there's a, more of a summer borscht, there's a spring borscht, there's a winter borscht, which uh, uh, actually traditionally in, in the part of Ukraine where I come from, you, you'd add things like dried tomatoes and dried fish powder and all of Ooh, these kind of things. Like nice. it's really interesting regional idiosyncrasies. Um, then dumplings, of course. And that's, you know, to this day, Ukrainian vareniki is probably my kind of like death row dish, if you wish, or, you know, like what you'd eat before apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cooked by my mom. Um, they're amazing. Um, then, uh, you know, things like cabbage rolls. But as I say, this is this is loads of kind of like stereotypical dishes. But there's, there's, there was a lot more, which was... Um, actually quite different from the from the rest of Ukraine even you know we, we did manage to preserve some regional dishes like noodli which is uh, this amazing dish with uh, cooked um, kind of like slow cooked pork ribs and potatoes and then you make these kefir puffy swirly dumplings almost that look like cinnamon rolls oh that you put on top and they suck you know they, they soak all of the 
juices from the bottom and become really puffy on top. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Uh, loads of ferments, as I say, in the south of Ukraine, yeah. we ferment everything from tomatoes to watermelons. So, yeah, it was um, quite amazing. A hel- quite healthy cuisine. <laughs> I sort of feel like awesome. A, yeah, yeah, but like even, you know, I feel like the Western world is only just like getting excited by like fermentation. It's like mm. you guys have been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what you know. Yeah. Um, and so good for gut health. <laughs> Which we didn't even know, you know, exactly. in the eighties, my I'm mom saying. would be like, "Don't eat too many salted cucumbers because yeah. you know salt of was course. used to be bad." Yeah, little did we know. Really that. interesting. I said, "Did you meet?" <laughs> is there, like is a, there two stories? <laughs> we'll like take turns to tell that story. You know, there's like there's one straightforward story. Um, we went to uh, Queen Mary University in Myland to do our master's degree. Um, Olya did um, translation and literature studies, and I did film studies, uh, but we were part of the same kind of modern languages humanities department, which was quite cozy and small, so everyone knew each other quite well. Um, and we were smoking outside, <laughs> as one did back in whatever... Early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. It was um, a thing to do then. And Olya was chatting to another woman, um, and they were speaking Russian, so I was like, oh, hello, you know, like, where are you guys from? Um, And we kind of immediately bonded over our um, kind of shared cultural, uh, ethnic heritage, but also like the things we were studying were very close in in subjects. And we ended up having this almost kind of uncanny parallel that kept crossing. my paternal grandma is from Siberia, by the way. So we've got this kind of reverse of grandmothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, on, so on my mom's side, I have Ukrainian Jews who came yes. to Siberia. And on Olya's side, her dad's mom is actually from Siberia, who then went to Ukraine. You were destined to meet, I think. Yeah, it was quite, sure. quite bizarre to find that out. And so now we kind of professionally also happen to work um, at a film kind of a cultural sense of film festivals together. And then Olya went on to work as a um, reporter for a trade film magazine. And I was still working in film festivals. So we had a lot of interactions through that. And then we kind of lost touch for a little bit. Um, and next thing I know, I see Olya posting that she is um, retraining as a chef. And it was also at the same time that I um, I mean, I wasn't anywhere near kind of going as professional as that, but I was kind of toying with the idea of starting supper clubs. And then, yeah, and now we kind of... And the rest is history. Yeah. We really reconnected through food. And so, yeah. um, Olya, you went to Leafs, which is just around the corner. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really interesting because you both sort of come from these worlds. You're sort of both like in film at this point. You decide to go uh, sort of down the culinary school route. Um what was that like? And I guess, what did you want to do with it? Well, it was amazing. Um, like Alyssa, I also didn't really cook when I was a kid and I started cooking in my early 20s and became really quite obsessed with it. I couldn't think or about anything else. I could just, just wanted to cook and read about cooking and watch cooking. And then um, when the 2008 financial crisis happened, loads of people were being redundant and I just thought, why don't I change my life and wow. uh, my parents at that point helped me out so I went to Leeds and it was amazing it was uh, one of the most experiences of my life and, and training and, and attending it in the in the hopes that you were 100% just going to become a chef that's what you wanted to do 
to be honest with you, I I didn't quite know where I would end up. Yeah. I was hoping that maybe I would be a recipe tester for a magazine or something like that. I, I didn't care, to be honest with you. Mm. I just really wanted to chop and fry and mm. <laughs> steam and whatever. I just wanted to cook. Um, so I didn't have a plan. So everything that's happened afterwards, you know, it's still kind of seems really magical and unbelievable. Mm, absolutely. And then Alyssa, you also obviously in the film world as well, then you stepped away and you launched something called Kino Vino. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Um, so my kind of path into food started from a place when um, I was doing a PhD in film history, specifically focusing on representations of the Holocaust in Soviet film. So it was a lot to do with Second World War mm. history and kind of cultural history of Jews in Russia and Soviet Union. Very intense, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, having spent days watching hundreds of war films and documents about the Holocaust. So cooking suddenly became this amazing antidote to really intense intellectual and quite kind of harsh emotional experience. Um, and um, I, like Olya also, I was obsessed with uh, watching cookery shows. <laughs> and I remember I would, um, you know, finish my kind of writing and research and in the evening I would sit and watch MasterChef as I have dinner. And my housemate was like, you're absolutely insane. You're eating while watching other people cook. God, I, I still do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like my form of therapy. You've got to love it a is, cooking show. It is, it's just yeah. the best. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it was at the time when, maybe, well, maybe I became aware that there actually are the paths into food so you don't have to mm. go into the kitchen and kind of work crazy hours and not see the daylight for months um, and the idea of a supper club uh, kind of came to mind as I said my mom was an amazing party host so I really grew up around that environment and like sitting around the table is literally something we would do as a family and it's with my friends as well um, but I kind of didn't feel confident enough to just transition out of my career in film academia and film festivals. So I thought, why not pair film with food? You know, the same way as you would pair wine with food. Um, and that kind of made me a bit more confident to start because I knew that I know film really mm. well. I've got a PhD, that's kind of, you know, good enough. Um, what's the word badge to like make me confident that I can do that but with cooking I I didn't feel that confidence yet that's why the idea was to invite other chefs uh, to cook where we together would curate uh, an evening where there's a film screening followed by a dinner and there's a kind of an overarching theme whether it's a regional thing or there's specifically recreating a meal from the film and of course, <laughs> Olya was my uh, first, um, I did one where I did cooking myself, but it was just so crazy. And it was kind of more of a pilot. And I was like, no, I'm definitely going to team up with a professional yeah. chef because it's just impossible. Um, and Olya was the first professional chef mm -hmm. that I've invited to uh, do Kinovino with me. And again, it's in a weird way, it coincided with um, the launch of Olya's first cookbook, Mamushka but also the um, onset of the war in Ukraine uh, in the Crimea region. Yes. So Olya was doing a lot of uh, fundraising back then. And that's actually when I saw her doing events, I was like, oh my God, we have to 
you know, come together to do something. And we did this wonderful evening kind of recreating a Ukrainian countryside setting, showing this uh, iconic uh, Soviet era Ukrainian film called V, which is based on a famous kind of horror short story by Nikolai Gogol, who's a, a Ukrainian writer, but he wrote in Russian yeah, from the 18th century. And it was a really magical, it still is one of my favorite um, events. We still need to do the yes, Shadows of Forbidden we, Ancestors. We have one, one more in our pocket too. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so we could potentially see something like that happening yes, soon maybe. Almost. And so where were you, where were you hosting this? Um, I've, it was quite hard to, uh, you know, finding a venue to host a dinner for 40 people is hard as it is, but my extra requirement was a cinema. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now I look back thinking, how the did I <laughs> manage to pull it off? You don't do it's... things by halves. I like that. I like that about both of you. <laughs> it was insane. So at first I would literally, uh, I found a really wonderful venue in uh, Clapton called Palm 2. Okay. It was just a massive room, which we partitioned in half and we built mm. the cinema from scratch <laughs> and then set up a whole dining situation as well. Wow. And I would do it every month. I mean, oh. yeah, I don't know. But luckily later I found a really amazing venue in Shoreditch that had a proper cinema and a kitchen and a dining room. So that made the whole operation a lot easier. But for the first two years, I used to do this insane wow. build your own cinema stuff. Yes. I mean, that is actually incredible. And it's interesting because I haven't seen anything like that out there. I don't know anyone, like, you need to bring that back. I think we should do like a special night. Oh, we will, yeah. That yeah, sounds been, incredible. Yeah, we've, I think. And you're absolutely right. I love the combination of film and food. They actually go, go beautifully hand in hand together. Mm. I love that. So I want to fast forward to present day um, and talk about the Cook for Ukraine initiative. I guess I want to sort of understand what the process was like starting it. I guess it's obvious why you wanted to start it, but sort of explain to us those very formative moments in those days and those weeks when you decided to take upon this initiative? Uh, so the first kind of three months of the war, even though we've dreamt up Cook for Ukraine together, actually, I must say, Alisa and the team behind Cook for Ukraine have done so much while I was kind of like trying to find helmets and vests for my brother and being in total shock and trauma. So maybe Alisa can explain what, how it all Sure. Bless you. You've done so bloody much. Um, well, yeah, I don't even know what what was the starting point. I guess our Kinovino kind of retrospectively mm. that was really the starting point. And since then, I have to say we've we've done so many more, not just Kinovinos, but different other pop ups. So we've cooked together lots together. Yeah, together, <laughs> <laughs> together. Um, yeah, cook for Syria as well. We've yes, we've both been involved with Cook for Syria. Um, and so when Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, um, Olya and I went to a protest together. That was, you know, like, not even no-brainer. And when we met there, um, Olya hasn't slept a second the night before when, you know, when the whole invasion was happening. And she was like, oh, I've already been thinking of different um, fundraising things I'm going to do. And I said, well, 
how would you feel if I, you know, join you or maybe we can do something together? And like, to be fair, Olya was really amazing as she always is in kind of making me feel welcome as part of, because the protest was very much, of course, by Ukrainian people and there were a few Russians there. So it was a very kind of complex experience. But kind of having Olya <laughs> embrace me, literally and emotionally, um, kind of really inspired me and made me feel it's okay for a Russian to kind of join the initiative and start something like that. And then that same evening, we were like, okay, we have to go to bed. And But of course, we're like <laughs> texting each other. And it's like one of those moments that just kind of popped up, like, what about Cook for Ukraine? What if we use the same model, which was super successful with Cook for Syria? Mm. We've, you know, we've been cooking together for years. You know, we're part of the food industry. I'm sure people will get on board. And I remember the next morning, um, as unfortunately I always do, phone first thing, I checked if Cook for Ukraine as a hashtag existed and it didn't. Mm. So I just went out there without actually having any clear idea of what the hell we're going to do, just to post a picture to, of us saying, Cook for Ukraine, we're going to start this campaign watch the space basically and I can't remember exactly how but I think literally either that same day or the next day I reached out to the clock and well boy whom I knew from cook for Syria initially just to ask for his advice and just chat to him about how he started it or well, being the amazing person that he is he said look um, we're gonna get on board I'm gonna get the same people so there are three um, kind of funding people behind Cook for Syria, so he, including himself, so he brought them in and we kind of did an open call for volunteers, a few friends joined in, and it's quite a small team of eight people, mm. um, and within 24 hours from the invasion we've set up the donation link and it just started kind of flowing in. Yeah, and I did interviews and kind of helped with that side of things for the first kind of couple of months because mm -hmm. I just was in a really yeah strange place of course but also I just want to say um I feel uncomfortable being called an activist because I haven't really done I mean I've done the I'm doing the campaign and I've initiated the campaign but real activism is <laughs> represented by Olya because um Cook for Ukraine she has been an amazing champion of the campaign she's been the face of the campaign the voice of the campaign but She's done so much more than that, whereas, you know, I've only focused on one thing. Olya's done, gosh, so many more things outside her work as a food writer and um, kind of connoisseur of Ukrainian food culture. You know, she's been doing amazing fundraising for her brother, who is in the Territorial Defense Forces, and she's just humanitarian aid and a spokesperson for Ukrainian culture in general. So, yeah, she's just incredible. I love you. Oh, oh sorry. I mean, I feel like this is this is. I mean, it's emotional for me to just even hear and can and to imagine what those first few days and weeks were like for both of you in in different ways, but also similar ways. For anyone that might not really understand and is and is hearing the term "cook for Ukraine" for the first time, can you just sort of explain? I know I sort of said in the intro that it's supper clubs, it's this, but can you sort of explain what it is and if people want to get involved, how they can? Yeah, um, so there's different ways. the 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 simplest way is literally to cook a dish from Ukraine, 
and to tag Cook for Ukraine and maybe to just explain a little bit about it. You know, it's a lot of it is about war fatigue, which is natural. People get tired yeah. of seeing the headlines and it's hard to connect and it's very easy to disassociate yourself from from people and what they're going through. But if if you cook something, I think that brings you and other people who, who see that there's being cooked or, you know, there's education there and there's just that kind of connectedness between people. So that's the easiest, simplest thing that one can do. Um, then, um, you know, there's been kind of like kids in Wales making bake sales and selling them at the school and then donating the money um, either to the UNICEF Just Giving page that we've set up or we've also got other uh, partners um, or like Legacy of War and choose love, and, and choose love. Um, or you know we encourage also to donate to any kind of like smaller charities that you know that are reputable on the ground in Ukraine uh, and of course there's also been more than 200 restaurants in London alone mm -hmm. or in England alone uh, in London in London alone. yeah so it's almost 300 Incredible. across the UK that have put I don't know a dish on and then parts of the proceeds mm. go to, to support Ukraine you know the industry has been really mm. really mm. incredible I thank them all mm. a great way to do it is especially now that the festive season quote-unquote is coming up and it also is quite a horrendous time for Ukraine with what's happening to the energy supplies and who knows what winter is going to be like for people in Ukraine. It's I feel like now is really an essential time to kind of boost the campaign a bit more and such a wonderful way to support Ukraine while you're still hosting your dinner parties is um, consider hosting a Ukrainian themed dinner, dinner mm. party and then uh, inviting friends and instead of asking them to bring something, ask them to donate to our campaign. And that's such a lovely way to get people involved, um, still enjoy your evening. But actually, by doing that, you're also making a huge difference. And Absolutely. can't stress enough how like a pound makes an amazing difference. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't need to be anything I mean, it, it just brings it back as well to that conversation that I very briefly mentioned in the intro that, you know, around a table... You know, for me, I don't know um, when you guys were growing up, if you would sit at the table with your family, but the conversations over food, I think, are some of the most important conversations. And it's just so beautiful that you've been able to, and I understand that the concept had started with Cook for Syria and the and how incredible that, you know, went. But the fact that, you know, for example, a lot of people may not know what Ukrainian dishes are and and it's about educating and having that conversation and having that dialogue. And even if it's talking to two other people, they will then go and tell another two people. And then that's how things are spread. That's how people and a movement and a conversation is started. And I just I just think, you know, as you said, one pound can make a difference that can go so far for some people. That's all it takes. And, you know, that's why I urge people listening to this, watching this, to please take on board what these ladies have said, because it really is that it's that simple mm. to just make a dish. Um, you mentioned when you um, accepted the award at the Observer um, Awards that you had a few statistics um, in terms of how much you had raised, which I just am blown away by. Could you say what, <laughs> what it's been? What a the update is? <laughs> <laughs> just just add a, add a bit add a bit on whatever you say. <laughs> um, Last time we checked for for UNICEF alone was close to two million pounds. Yeah, 
but we also have um, Legacy of War and Choose Love. Um, and, so... and recently, so I've also got a, a Patreon subscription service and one of the amazing women that subscribes to it, her and her parents fund in America have raised $37,000 and they're giving it to Legacy of War, which is wow. one of our partners. And that was just, oh, wow. yeah. It's people have been but amazing. It's, I mean, it's over two. That, what we're saying is, it's over two million yeah. pounds. Yeah. Pounds, yeah. I mean, yeah. you think about that in the time frame that you guys mm. set this up. It's I, I can't yeah. fathom it. It's just mm. insane. It's incredible. I have to ask, how do you how do you feel about what you've achieved in this time? I'd be completely honest. There are days when I feel like I don't know what I've achieved. But I don't know if that's something that's happening in my own brain and if it's the roller coaster of the trauma. Uh, because actually, it's really quite hard not being there. And I think, you know, that's why my dad, for example, he couldn't, him and my mom left Kherson in April because they were being threatened and they went to Berlin and he couldn't stay there. He said that he was just not able to be in you know away so he drove back for five days and he is staying with his sister and my cousin and he's already volunteering and like taking humanitarian aid to Hirson and stuff so you know what like it's i i know like somewhere deep i i know and people keep telling me like oh how do you do this and how do you do that and i'm, I'm sure that i am doing stuff but sometimes i have days when i feel like i because you're not doing something may, maybe Physically, even though I don't know, it's it's a really complicated yeah. thing. I don't know. It sometimes I feel like when we talk about the two million, or if I see people donating, you know, anything from one pound to thirty-seven thousand pounds, and I know that it will translate yeah. into something that my dad or anyone else in Ukraine will do physically. But sometimes I have days when I feel, yeah, a bit kind of strange and helpless, though. We're going to take it away from sorry. Ukraine for just for a bit because, um, sorry, um, it's it's emotional. It, w whether you are connected or not, this is this is what like we're going through in life, and it's just it's it's tough. And I, I really, as I said, I really appreciate you being so honest and open because I know it's incredibly difficult. You have because obviously you are superwoman. You have lots of other things going on in your lives. Um, Olia, you just released a new cookbook. Please talk to us about it. Uh, yeah, um, so I released my fourth cookbook called Home Food Recipes That uh, Comfort and Connect Us uh, in July this of this year. And I know that everybody's tired of talking about lockdown and the pandemic, but <laughs> I wrote it during the pandemic when my second son was born. Okay. Um, so it was a really kind of interesting, strange time. Uh, the idea for the fourth book was actually to go to Siberia and retrace my grandmother's steps because she lived, she left Siberia in the 1950s, went to Uzbekistan, then met my Ukrainian grandfather and ended up in Ukraine. So that was supposed to be the book and then I, I couldn't do it. So I decided to write something from home. And I, and to be honest with you, I was a little bit devastated about that. I just thought, oh, what's so important mm. about my home life? I always thought of myself as a bit of, you know, as an anthropologically kind of like minded writer. Mm. Uh, but actually I started writing um, 
about you about Ukraine, uh, about Vera, my Siberian grandmother, about my neighbors who have been incredible about the community and I wrote a hundred recipes and there's a few um, essays and vignettes that talk about how food um, connects us uh, and comforts us and it's all about that. And that, that's why we're here talking about the connection <laughs> over food. Um, and I have to ask, sorry, um, both of you, what are your specialities at home when you're cooking? What, what, what can we see you making on a day-to-day -day basis? I have to say I go through phases of making food that I grew up with um, and then kind of almost just forgetting about it and not cooking anything that's Eastern European. Um, I think my kind of go-to things would be more in the Italian-ish okay. kind of, well now especially soups and stews mm. with lots of kale and pecorino and beans and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've also, since I've had my daughter, I've been a vegetarian for about 15 years, but then once I've had my daughter and started breastfeeding, my body just screamed <laughs> for meat and I luckily listened to the call. Um, and I've started eating meat since then. Yeah. Um, so now, I mean, yeah, now making kind of meaty stews um, and kind of sausage stews, that nice kind of stuff. warming, comforting yeah, meals. I think that's kind of my my go-to stuff. How about yeah. you, Alia? I'll be brutally honest. I mean, my husband, Joe, um, is an incredible cook. And um, I would say that he's probably the main cook of the house okay is which actually cook? and he's a good cook yeah yeah he's, he's amazing, amazing. He's, really? uh, yeah he's he's yeah he, he's a vegetarian and he cooks a lot of veggie food and especially since the war started he's kind of like really taken yeah. the reins and um is making life nourishing and a little bit easier for me but when i do cook and i still of course i still do cook um it'd probably be quite simple things. Um, our, my, my Ukrainian niece has been living with us since April as well. And my kids are actually quite easy. Yeah, they're very, very good eaters, but Asia is quite tricky. So <laughs> <laughs> so whenever there's, I can see her bleeding eyes, you know, I'd make a roast chicken or okay. so, with loads of onions Perfect. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, dumplings and, and Eastern European food, but also like Alisa, I would go kind of through, through phases. Mm, but yeah. I quite like, I almost like that, that when I then go back so that food, I mean, there was a phase when I haven't made borscht for a really long time. Mm. And again, now that I'm eating meat, I'm making, I, wanna, I don't want to say proper borscht because vegetarian borscht is amazing as yeah. well. Um, but meat borscht, there's something about that super hearty quality of it. And when I recently made it, I literally had that ratatouille <laughs> moment when I almost wept. <laughs> and I was like, why don't I make this more often? It was just the most like soul comforting amazing experience and my daughter loves it too so i think it's so powerful when food makes you emotional like that yeah. i think i've had it only like twice in my life and it, i do it's just i don't know it just like warms my heart to know that something just food you know a lot of people don't understand that connection and i just i feel very privileged to feel that emotion what three items are always in your fridge <laughs> this is going to expose you all now. <laughs> uh, always in my fridge, butter. Mm -hmm. um, some kind of pickle, 
some kind of kraut, probably. Um, whether homemade or, 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 or shop bought, it depends. Um, I do do a lot of pickling. And, and actually, some unrefined sunflower oil from Ukraine. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's almost as powerful as sesame oil. So it's that kind of, it's just tastes of toasted sunflower seeds and looks deep amber in color. And it's in this kind of like recycled water, mineral water bottle. And uh, yeah, my parents uh, or if whenever I went to Ukraine, I'd always bring a bottle and just keep it in the fridge because it keeps better. And I've just got a tiny bit left, but hopefully I can see my dad soon and maybe in February and I'll bring some back. Okay, some more. Um, I think for me, well, yes, butter, definitely. Well, we know um, from your, your breakfast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I do have lots of ferments. Um, but other things I'd say, I need to have some kind of green something like courgettes or kale some kind of a greeny mm. something because they're so versatile you yeah. can literally do whatever with it and probably oh, i'm trying to think like yeah what do i feel kind of naked without it <laughs> if it's not in the fridge uh probably eggs yeah with the kid it's so easy yeah. and again super versatile can absolutely do so many things the one reason i can't turn vegan is because of eggs i just love them too much if you do find yourself out and about, are there any restaurants that you love in London to go to? Mm, yes. Oh, she's uh, very. She's, she knew where she was going. Oh with no, that. I, ha I have. A, I have actually a really, really long list, <laughs> which I, sh I should probably publish on Instagram just for people that visit London. Well, hopefully, if they have the same taste. But um, yeah, I two two of my most favorite places to go to are Towpath. Yes. Oh, on the canal. On the canal. Beautiful, love it there. And 40 Mulby Street. Yes. I mean, all, all of the places that I love are in that kind of vein, you know, just really good ingredients, mm. um, skillful cooking, but not too overcomplicated, yeah. you know, some really nice low intervention wine, wine kind of wine, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I love those two places. No mm. one's ever said those two. That's a good one. Have <laughs> well, you it's really funny because Towpath <laughs> is a really special place and um, my and my partner's love story. Um, I think it was like 12 years ago. Um, I used to live close to my land and he used to live close to Angel. Okay. So we'd meet, walk on the canal, and our kind of date place would be in the middle, and Topaz <laughs> was the Aww. place. So that was kind of our spring and summer date okay. stuff. And it was way before I was into food. So I actually didn't realize that it's this like mega amazing foodie place. It just happened to be kind of on our way. Um, and of course, since then, we kind of became mm -hmm. the mecca of <laughs> food. Um, and I think like most of the places I think about, they're all kind of in North London Angel area. I really love uh, Duke of Cambridge, the organic pub in Angel. Okay. That's probably another place. Um, and Draper's Arms also pub in Angel. Oh, yes, Draper's Arms. <laughs> and that's something that we, that where we kind of go together quite a lot. Yeah, okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do they do a good roast? Oh my God. Oh, yeah, the best. Okay. Yeah, the best. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you starters or desserts, ladies? Oh, I'm starters for sure. 
I'm kind of like leave the main, have loads of starters and loads of desserts. <laughs> Do you know what? I like that idea. I always find as well sometimes there's the starters are such an amazing selection. I just yeah. want to order all of them. But that's very kind of Ukrainian, isn't it? When you would eat and also kind of Iranian meza yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of pick a few things and always. Yeah, can rather than one. one. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to yeah. try everything. I'm a bit greedy. Yeah. I want to try yeah. everything. Yeah. That- but I do have a sweet tooth, so okay. yeah, that's something kind of custody, custody, vanillary okay. thing, definitely, it's me. I always finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions. So we're going to, they got a, they're the most unquick fire, quick fire questions, oh but let's see how we go. To both of you, what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Well, I've got immediate answer, ants. Okay. Where were you? <laughs> it was, um... Called, is it called Native? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. One day still you were in London. Small, yeah. In London, a small restaurant in Neil's Yard. Yes. I used to work in a cafe right next to it. And it was my anniversary dinner with my partner. And they were literally next door and I was working till late. I was like, sure, we just try that. And we were sitting at the counter so we could see what the chefs were cooking. And he was handling ants. And we're like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, oh, do you want to try some? And I was quite drunk by that point. So I said, sure. And I was like? a vegetarian at that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ants they don't just, count, it's fine. They're yeah. a very good source of protein. Yeah, they were very um, lemony, very kind of That's sharp. That's what I've heard. Lemony, Cit- like sort of citrusy. citrusy. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. How about you, Olivia? Um, are they not all, ants? No. Um, Nutri is a capybara. Capybara is a water rat. Oh my what? god. Yeah. Okay, um, no, you can beat me. <laughs> you did. Uh, yeah, I think that's what they're called. Okay. Capybara, I think they're called in English. Um, yeah, and um, a friend of ours cooked it for us, actually, in my hometown in Kahovka. Wow. I don't know what the history is of eating okay. them in Ukraine. I probably should find out. Okay. But yeah, it was interesting. It what was, is it? Uh, give, me a, give me sort of like... <laughs> kind of like chicken yeah what is it i love it everyone always is like people be like yeah i ate crocodile yeah it was a bit like chicken (laughs) yeah it was like firm chicken (laughs) it was you know i will make sure to try that one day Sorry, well, you did ask for an outrageous one. No, I, one, I love I these that's... answers because it's also like what people consider crazy, you know, because mm. in a lot of cultures, yeah. a lot of these, mm. as you said, like these foods are just normal, right? Yeah. So yeah. it is very interesting. What has been your most memorable meal? I just had one pop. I'm sure there were lots. Mm-hmm. And it might, might be a very long answer but to kind of explain why it was so memorable. Um and it has to do with Olya. <laughs> uh, when I had my daughter, um, I kind of went through a really tough first few weeks. I don't know if it was a kind of full-on postpartum depression, but it was definitely a very intense mood uh, disorder. Um, I think partly kind of induced by the lack of support and lack of really good nourishing food. And bless my partner, he tried, but you know, there are two sleep-deprived people without any help whatsoever. So I really struggled to um, feed ourselves and I really struggled to breastfeed. So it was a really dark time for me and I kind of didn't really feel kind of like connected to myself as a mother and connected to my baby. So I haven't really kind of celebrated this huge Mm. (laughs) achievement. And then Ollie and Joe came over and they cooked his dinner. And uh, to me, it was the first time, I don't know, maybe to see cl- my close friends being so happy for us and like to see Olya uh, kind of holding the baby. I suddenly kind of like 
clicked into mm. my place as a new mom and I was like fuck that is sorry I'm swearing that's okay there's, <laughs> uh, a, lot, there's a lot of swearing around don't worry <laughs> you know it's a really massive event you know yeah. of course like I should be happy and I should celebrate and it was the most amazing kind of Thai curry and bless them they made like a gigantic pot of it so we so still had, had for lots for leftovers and I think I'm sure like it was also a coincidence that I kind of naturally was kind of coming out of that really intense fog in terms of my hormones but it was literally after that meal that kind of things started to mm. brighten up so I always think of it as a one of the most memorable meals yeah <laughs> that makes me happy I'm glad that we did that it's always about as well like who you're with I always say like with this question it's about where you were who you with what the circumstances were sometimes it's not necessarily just about the food mm. and that's that was a beautiful offering of love from you to her Ooh, that's lovely um mine again yeah there are so many uh but one of the ones that I keep coming back to recently in my head is um we do used to do this thing in Ukraine called the summit and wow. it's um, <laughs> um, so my mom is um, one of six children so I actually have a really huge um, extended family imagine all of those mm. um, yeah my cousins brothers and sisters and, yeah, yeah so all of the cousins and everyone and um, and we used to get together quite a lot uh, when we were younger and uh, in my grandmother's house um, under a walnut tree. Uh, the, the summer, uh, you know, me meetings especially kind of really stood out. And then when I was, and then we stopped because, you know, people moved, moved to the UK, some cousins moved to Germany, then the rest of them just, just you know, were scattered all over Ukraine. Um, and then when I was 30, I just said, we need to do this again because I want my children to experience the same kind of things that we did, you know, the long table, the food, the drinks, the conversations, the retelling of the stories from, you know, starting in the 1920s onwards, you know, I wanted my children to hear those stories and to eat that food. And I convinced my family to get together and actually they did and we called it the mm -hmm. summit because they oh, just came from all over. And we started doing that eight years ago when actually the war started in 2014 and we did it every August. And the last one that we did was last we we managed to go to ukraine and yeah and um we all got together in my mom's house and uh that was amazing and we had kind of all of the you know amazing uh dishes kind of family dishes like lokchanas huskoyo which is um homemade noodles with uh with a goose and loads of my mom's homegrown tomatoes and cucumbers and yeah it was just the most um, amazing day and being around all the people that you love yeah beautiful this feels just like a very silly question to ask in this in in the mindset of everything that's going on. But my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? <laughs> At least it got a laugh. <laughs> I really got into. I can't remember what the brand is called. It's Spanish. This really lovely kind of Torres. Yes. And they do truffle. Yes. Oh, oh my God. The best truffle crisps on the market yeah. still. Everyone else has tried to recreate no. and have failed. Yes, yeah. That's, that's the Very good answer. <laughs> Salt and vinegar. Good. Yes. <laughs> now, now we have to find out what sort of like, are we talking like a thick kettle chip or are we talking like a Walker's? Mm, thick kettle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, glad. There's 
two points that I've gained on doing this podcast. Oh, because there's one particular flavour that I get very angry about. If anyone ever says they like prawn cocktail, I oh. get very offended by it. And it turns into a very awkward conversation with my guest. And as you can see behind me, that's my we celebrate my favourite flavour, which is pickled onion monster munch. So I'm really happy with this. I feel like that's a party with those three flavours. I was I'm wondering really... what those She was like, be like, where are we? <laughs> It's my little favourite prop. <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you? Anything to do with dough, I think. Anything <laughs> bready, yes. dough, dumplings, things encased in dough, yeah. buns, <laughs> just, yeah, bread. Love it. Carbs. Carbs. <laughs> I think kind of close to that something dippy like mm. where you would use a bread and like yeah. warm yes flat bread or warm toast and like dip and kind of get your hands messy yeah. as well love that and final question live to eat or eat to live oh live to eat right this is the, it's this, up to, it's a very philosophical <laughs> question <laughs> eat to live yeah. I, I, well, I don't know well, now that you've made yeah. it that way <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's definitely... There's no right or wrong answer. No, I know, I know. I'm just kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. As Live in, to yeah, eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pleasure, yeah, yeah. rather than, yeah, yeah just sustenance. Yeah. yeah, I think to me they're kind of both... If you live to eat you automatically tick the other box mm. yeah. anyway so definitely yeah. thank you there we go that, that, that was a very pragmatic good answer I like that <laughs> ladies as I said I am honoured to be in your presence thank you for giving me your time thank you for being honest and everything that you're doing I just think is phenomenal and I wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavours and sending much love to you, your families, and anyone that does want to get involved with Cook for Ukraine, where can we find you? Do you have a website? I know obviously there's Instagram. Do you want to just uh, let everyone know? Yeah, so the best place to go to would be cookforukraine.org. That's our main website. Do check out the hashtag. We are primarily on Instagram. And also, it's not directly related to Cook for Ukraine, but um, Olya's Patreon page. She does so much amazing stuff there, and she uses that money to support people in Ukraine, not through the, our campaign, but through her own work. Okay. So also check check that out. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So guys, please, please go on to all of those platforms. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.